Hello, and welcome to the Breaking Over the Anxiety podcast. I am your host, the anxiety nutritionist, gut and hormonal health expert, yoga and meditation teacher, and cat mom, Taylor Jandro. And this podcast is designed to show you how to relieve and resolve your anxiety disorder through the powerful combination of food, lifestyle changes, targeted supplementation, gut and hormonal health optimization, nervous system regulation, yoga, meditation, mindset, lifestyle coaching, and more. Guys, this episode today is so, so, so freaking good. It was also recorded a while back. And when I was editing the clips the other day for my Instagram stories and future reels, I forgot how freaking good it was. Like I had chills re-listening to this conversation with Andrea, who is a master mindset coach, master NLP practitioner, and hypnotherapy trainer. She works with women who are ready to release their health anxiety, triggered from past traumatic or emotional events, and fully step into their body confidence, personal power, and abundance. In this episode, we talk about constructive versus destructive anxiety, unsupportive family members. Uh, We talk a lot about mindset and using NLP and hypnosis to untangle the complicated web that is health anxiety and just anxiety in general. We talk about the secondary gain, which is something I will admit I have been nervous to talk about because I know some people will probably be pissed or offended, but hey, I didn't make this up. (laughs) And when I learned about this and realized I was doing this so many years ago, it shifted everything for me. We also talk about how resistance to change is keeping people stuck and what you can do about it. Uh, We talked about different manifestations of health anxiety and again, anxiety in general, unconscious patterns a lot of women carry um, about feeling unworthy or unlovable, the importance and the power of surrender and what that looks like, how to identify the thoughts, emotions, dietary lifestyle, or environmental triggers that occur right before the onset of anxiety. Like there's just so much, this episode is jam-packed. I'm going to stop talking now so that you can just listen to all the juicy goodness that is this episode. Andrea, I am so excited to dive into this conversation. Thank you for coming on the Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast. Oh, my pleasure. I am so pumped for today. I've been looking forward to this. So let's just get right into it. Introduce yourself. How did you get here? Why are you so passionate about health anxiety? So I am a master mindset coach. I do all things NLP, hypnosis, mindset coaching predominantly. However, I am NLP or and naturopathic, naturopathic Doctor. medicine trained. Oh my God. This is how we're starting. This is, this will be the only flub that I have. It so is an I, organic conversation. Right. So I came from a very pragmatic, you, you know, go to medical school, you graduate with a doctor's license, you open up a clinic, you serve people that way. And um, what I found very interesting is that I would get my um, patients to like 70% success and then all this stuff would come up and then they would regress or stay plateaued or I could get them maybe to 80 if we did some little extra things, but still life would happen, stress would happen and everything just kind of imploded. And I found I just kept hitting this wall with my patients being like, why can't I get them to this place of fully releasing their protective weight, fully stepping into body confidence, fully opening up in healthy communication with their partner on what their needs are, fully embracing what self-care is. And I couldn't get there using my doctor tools. I just could not get there using the doctor tools, nor did I feel comfortable opening up into like the counseling side of things the talk therapy side of things, because, you know, we're always afraid of Pandora's box. And once we open it up, would I be able to support them in their share? So then I decided to step outside of my comfort zone, which was staying in the conventional alternative medicine realm, and really start tapping into the mindset. And it was almost instant alignment for me. 
I was looking and searching for years to find out how to really start to rewire people's minds. And anxiety for me is just such a beautiful thing when you see it get released in like a session that I have with a client, when you shift their perspective or change just a few words, how instantly the future anxiety just can't coexist with, oh, I am totally imagining this or, oh, I am totally thinking the worst is going to happen when at the end of my day, the worst never happened. And I had all of this anxiety about it. Once you really start tapping into, and I mean, obviously, you know this, you start tapping into the mindset and the the what's going on, what's the pattern and how can we release it like yesterday, the transformation is just so amazing for both me as the coach and of course, for my patients or clients. So that's where my journey has brought me to here. And now as a master NLP practitioner, a hypnosis trainer, a master mindset coach, it is the most aligned and the most rewarding place that I've ever been in my career. And I've been doing this now for over a decade. So to be able to talk about this with you and your audience is just honestly all my pleasure. Oh, and I'm honored. And I feel like I'm looking into my future because that's where I see myself going. I have my level one for NLP oh. and I love hypnosis. I practice it personally on myself, self-hypnosis, and I cannot wait um, to do it with an actual practitioner as well. I've seen so many benefits and I've also toggled the line of, do I want to go back to school and do psychology and maybe also add like therapist counselor to my repertoire. And I have also shifted towards more mindset coaching as well. Um, personally, this is way down the road for me because I work a million jobs, but I do see <laughs> myself going there. So I, I'm just like, I feel like I'm just like looking at me in like a few years and you look good. I look <laughs> good. Let me say. <laughs> so can you explain to us hypnosis and then NLP, especially because I think a lot of people have a misunderstanding of hypnosis and we think about those people um, at the fair, you know, who would make you do things and you had no control, which is like not stage shows. Yeah. Yes. Which is not what we're talking about. <laughs> okay. Let's backstep to how your neurology, and when I say neurology, I'm referring to your unconscious mind. So this is how your unconscious mind works. When you think about things logically, rationally, you use data and you use like words and numbers, you're talking with your conscious mind. Where your emotions, your imagination, your dreams, and your memories exist is in your unconscious mind. That's where the play happens. So what's really going on is everything that you experience consciously is kind of like filtered and then based on your beliefs, your values, based on your, the environment you were raised in, based on what we call your hardwiring or your programming, Everything you experience here filters and will either land and support your values, beliefs, your environment in your unconscious mind, which is how we create patterns, or you completely reject it. And a perfect example is this. If you are a person who loves Star Wars and you're a person who doesn't love Star Wars, it's being filtered through everyone's conscious thought being like, do I want to accept this as a possibility or do I want to reject this as this is crazy, right? This will never happen. So let's now bring it into the hypnosis world. When you are going through hypnosis, hypnosis is literally a state that we exist in 95% of our day. Anytime you have driven from work to home and you're like, I don't know how I got here, somehow I made it here safe and you lost all track of time, that is a trance. Anytime you've been lost in work and all of a sudden three hours have gone by and it feels like it's only been five minutes, that is a trance state. We are all in a hypnotic trance all day long. We just didn't know that that's what it was. So with hypnosis, when someone's offering a suggestion, whether on a stage show or through a commercial, in mm -hmm. a book you're reading or a movie you're watching, and it, at it attaches and positively um, works for your filters, your values, your beliefs, your hardwiring, and all of that, 
you're more likely to accept that suggestion and then with free will act on that suggestion. Anyone who goes on a stage show who is given a few drinks and then given free reign to go up on stage in front of a group of strangers and act crazy will do it whether the hypnotist is there or not. The, the stage show just gave them permission and it took away that resistance to play. But we can never take away free will. We can never control you because your unconscious mind will always protect you. That's like its prime directive. It always keeps you safe. So no matter what, if you aren't someone who likes to rob banks and I install a suggestion, you're going to go out and rob banks, it won't compute. But if you are someone who likes to rob banks and then I install the suggestion of how to rob banks faster, that will. It's all about what's running naturally in your own mind and no one takes away free will. There's only one way that you can do this where you can seriously manipulate someone and it is the five steps of brainwashing. And if you want to Google the five oh. steps of brainwashing, <laughs> it will be there, which is remove them from their natural environment entirely. So throw them in a pit, starve them. And anytime they do something wrong, you hurt them with pain. Anytime they do something you like, you reward them with pleasure like water or food you must use some sort of psychotropic drug to manipulate their neurochemistry. And there's one other step. So let's be very clear. Stage shows do none of those. No. <laughs> Hypnotists and hypnotherapists do none of those. So it's all just, are you resisting the therapy or are you willing to play and allow the therapist to guide you? And that's the difference between those that can be, and I'm using quotations here, can be hypnotized and those that can't. It's all about your resistance to change and your resistance to play. That was an excellent, I've never heard anybody explain it that way before. That's a really excellent way to explain it. Do you get a lot of resistance because you work with a lot of women with anxiety, resistance to hypnosis? Um, I do a lot of what I call pre-framing. So I make sure that I set up all of my clients for success. And there are about three or four steps that we walk through together for them to experience what it's like, for them to sample it a little bit. And I keep coaching them. I need you to play. Are you willing to play with me? If you want this change to happen, you have to let me guide you. You are like, you are just the client. Your unconscious mind is the person who's doing all the work. So just drop the resistance. And I'm trained well enough to know when someone's bopping in and out of their body. So you need to be in your body, looking through your own eyes to tap into the unconscious mind versus bopping out and then giving me um, sentences like, well, I think this is working. I'm pretty sure I can see all like the conscious mind speaks in long sentences. Mm -hmm. The unconscious mind is like, relaxed, good, okay. So you can also gain where they're coming from. And with regards to how I also find hypnosis to be really valuable is making sure that those first couple of sessions are done in their safe place. So I do all of my sessions virtually, which I know a lot of people are kind of done with virtual However, when we do the deep work in their bedroom that they know is safe, in their office that they know is safe, in a place that they're already comfortable with, the resistance naturally drops versus inviting them into my clinic or my space for the first time. And then we have to develop comfort of what this space looks and feels like. So I also find doing it virtually naturally reduces that resistance. And as I said, I set them up with a lot of steps. So you don't just go right into it. Yeah. I also prefer virtual for that reason. Even as a client with someone who works with a therapist, for example, on the client side, I used to go and I used to sit on the couch and eventually you did develop that comfort and it did become a safe space. But now I do it at home. And I kind of, I was like, oh, I wish I did this from the beginning. This is yeah. way better. <laughs> okay. Where does NLP tie in? Explain NLP. Mm. And I, I, holy moly, that is a powerful practice. So I'm excited yeah. for you. I do have a few recordings in my Breaking Up Anxiety program. I have three NLP recordings and the feedback that I get from that is just insane. And me, myself personally, obviously when you go through these trainings, you're your first guinea pig, right? Yeah. It was very profound. So let's talk about that a bit. Yeah. So let's go back to how 
how I mapped out the brain. So remember, we are all, when we're born, we are just involved in what our environment creates. So before the age of seven, we have no conscious filter. That's why they say children are sponges. So whatever is being heard, watched, touched, eaten, smelled, all becomes what maps our neurology. Now, the hardwiring, the values, the beliefs, the patterning is what NLP works at at its very core. The behavior shift is what hypnosis does beautifully. And that's not to say that you can't help someone release anger with hypnosis. You can help people release you know, emotional weight with hypnosis through the guided imagery of what that looks like. However, if it's coming from a deep, deep place, if it's coming from past trauma, if there is a lot of generational trauma involved, and we just really need to repattern those negative emotions, those values, those beliefs, NLP does it the fastest and it does it the deepest. Hypnosis may take five or six or 10 sessions to rewire what a timeline therapy session using NLP can do in an hour. So it's not that one tool is better than the other. It's more what's in alignment with you and what tools do you need to use for that client to get them the best results. I love using both. I predominantly use hypnosis for behavior rewiring, and then I always use NLP and mindset coaching to literally like release that lightning in a bottle. That's the metaphor I use for anxiety. It's like lightning in a bottle. And the more lightning there is, (laughs) the more lightning there is, the more it just shakes the neurology and makes everything anxious. Mm -hmm. And so if we can just pop that lid off as quickly as we can and let that lightning out, well, then the neurology can settle and we can do all of the positive rewiring. And hypnosis is awesome for that. Now, how important is diet and gut health in this as well? (laughs) Well, we are human, right? We have a human body. And while the mind is controlling the body like a robot, the robot still needs oil and Mm -hmm. it still needs to keep its joints clean and it still needs to be cleaned up and tuned up and and um, maintained just like your vehicle does. And that's where gut support, minimizing inflammation, keeping the toxins out of our body helps the two work integratively. And you cannot do one without the other so long as you have a human body. If you're like a spirit floating around, do all the energy work you want to. But because we have organs and blood and a gut and we need nutrients to survive, that stuff has got to be clean all the time and to the best of your ability, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have a meat suit. (laughs) We need to support it. And I'm sure you hear this all the time. And I hear this all the time as well. Um, You know, I've tried everything. I've done therapy. I've done medication. I've done hypnosis. I've done breathing. I've used lavender essential oils. I've tried tapping. I've tried all of these things. And it's like, those are amazing tools. That's great. But what have you done for your meat suit as well? And I like, I just have goosebumps talking to you because I'm like, oh my gosh, like you take everything. And I, you know, not a lot of people are a one-stop shop. Like it's, it's very rare to find in practitioners. And I think that's a good thing because it allows us to really kind of hyper-focus and really understand certain conditions instead of trying to do all the things and kind of give mediocre support. But I love that you can offer all of this. So, okay, let's start here. What is your definition of health anxiety. And then I'm going to tell you what I think about health anxiety. And I want to hear your thoughts around it. Because when I do share my thoughts publicly, I get a lot of backlash about it. (laughs) Okay. So setting me up for success. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So my definition of health anxiety is where the anxiety, the negative self-talk, the self-deprecation, the distraction of your external world preventing you from actually go going inward is stopping you from getting what you want when it comes to your health. So all of those things that I've just listed will instantly stop you from being able to emotionally ground and have a proper conversation with someone on 
what your needs are. When our needs aren't being met, it perpetuates the negative self-talk because then we just get into a place of resentment. When we aren't putting ourselves first and we're constantly distracted by our external world, we are literally hemorrhaging all of our energy to everybody else. And then we complain that we don't have any energy for ourselves, for our goals, and for what we want to do. And all of this pent-up energy and lack of energy manifests more often than not as anxiety or and or brain fog and or pain. All, basically, it's just a way of describing why you feel the way you feel, validating that way. And now that you're validated, let's go to solution instead of staying in problem. So I'd love to hear your take okay, on it now. Here we go. So, and I'm going to provide context. Mm -hmm. So I personally never experienced health anxiety. My anxiety did not manifest that way. It manifested a bunch of other ways, but I never was like repeatedly going to the doctor, for example, concerned with a laundry list of symptoms. I was repeatedly going to my doctor being like, what you're giving me is not helping. That must be something else, but I wasn't getting really anxious and really stressed about all these different symptoms I was experiencing. I also didn't have that kind of existential anxiety where like, if I knew someone who had cancer, that would make me feel super anxious. Cause then I was like, Oh my God, do I have cancer? Should I be Googling? I didn't experience that. I also did not have anxiety around taking medications or supplements. Mm -hmm. So those kind of three categories seem to be from at least my conversations with women, and you might even have more to add, how health anxiety can manifest for some women. Mm-hmm. The, ex- the existential anxiety in my mind is different than the health anxiety. When when I talk about health anxiety, what I'm referring to, because language and context is important, yes. I'm referring to somebody who experiences a lot of symptoms and they're going to their doctor and they're not getting answers for their symptoms. And so they're panicking and they're anxious and they're going on Google and they're like, oh my gosh, I have all these crazy things. And so every little symptom is like sending them on this tailspin. And my unpopular opinion is that there would be a lot less health anxiety diagnoses or diagnose if people actually understood what their symptoms meant. And this isn't about blame or shame. It's just like most people are going to their doctors first and their doctors don't know. And their doctors are saying it's all in your head. You're fine. You're fine. When it's actually not all in your head, you actually do have that symptom. And that symptom is a manifestation of something going on in the body, in the mind, in the psyche. There's a bunch of different layers here. And so they're not getting the support they need. And so then they have health anxiety. And when I say this on like Instagram, I get some people who are like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. And other people who are like, how dare you say this? (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. I am quickly interrupting this episode because if you are like me and you are a visual learner, I wanted to let you know about my free one hour webinar class called The Three Secrets to Natural Anxiety Banishment that walks you through, well, the three secrets to natural anxiety banishment, specifically how to optimize your digestive function, how to fix your gut, how to eat in a way that boosts natural neurotransmitter production and reduce inflammation, and how to bring your hormones back into balance. I love podcasts for listening to when I'm on walks or driving or cooking or cleaning. They inspire me and give me so many aha moments, but I am a visual learner. So I benefit the most when I can see the information presented in a clear and organized manner, like a slideshow. I don't really remember or retain information that well when it's just presented verbally, which is exactly what I have done for you in my three secrets to natural anxiety banishment training. And within that training, I share the top things that you need to be doing to optimize digestive function, boost neurotransmitter production, bring your hormones back into balance, all in a beautiful slideshow. So if you haven't watched that, hit the link in the show notes to get your copy of the three secrets to natural anxiety banishment free training 
emailed right to you. Okay, back to the episode. If I'm hearing you correctly, and you're right, the way you use your language and the words that you choose to use, again, based on my beliefs, my values, my hardwiring makes a difference. What I'm hearing, though, is the difference between cause and effect of what is going on with your body. Would you agree? Yes. Perfect. Now, cause, let's start when you're at effect. When you're at effect, your external world is the reason why you're not getting what you want. When you're at cause, that's when you take full responsibility for, I don't care what I need to do. I am going to get everything that I want. And so mic drop. (laughs) Language aside, it doesn't matter whether your doctor is giving you the resources you want to. If that is your, if that's your no, if you only need one no for you to just bail on your own health journey, then that's your choice and and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Some people are at a, a, a five no. I will go to five different people and once I get that fifth no, then I tap out. Some people have a 10 no. Some people have like they don't even get to the first no and they tap out. The question really is, is how much responsibility are you planning on taking to make sure that you get what you want in this lifetime? And that means there's a ton of resources for you to use. And if we can circle back to the people that say, I've tried everything, the tapping, my doctor, a naturopath, blah, 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 and they still choose to seek out more resources to support them they are still at cause because they are still saying, I'm going to find the way that works. What the effect though can be of those same people is I'm going to throw money at all of these different people because they are the answer. And I still haven't dropped my resistance to actually leaning in to receiving the treatment because we can go to a naturopath once and you will not get better. We can do tapping once and you will not get better. We can do one hypnosis session, and I promise you, you will not get better. If we're just smattering things and trying them once, and then that's our, nope, didn't work, that's still at effect. So I want everyone to hear me very clearly and pay attention to what it is you are doing with your resources. Are you fully leaning in until it's just not working? Or are you trying as many new things as you can, hoping something is gonna work? without the commitment of seeing it through. And those are two very different approaches to healing health anxiety, in my mind. Mm -hmm. Something that just came up for me as you were saying that, and this is something I very much identify with or did, is that victim mentality, that Mm -hmm. victim mindset. And I think in psychology, it's something called the secondary gain or something like that, where it's like you have something to gain from your illness or whatever. And um, uh, that that this was me in my early 20s. It was like, woe is me. I have anxiety, feel bad for me. I can't do. And as much as I wanted to get better, I did benefit from it in some way. The unconscious mind only does what works. Mm-hmm. So if you are looking for validation, staying in your victim story works. If you're looking for care, which you otherwise weren't getting, and now you have a health condition that requires you to get more attention, to not have to do as much around the house, pain has the highest secondary gain of any health condition on the planet. And so that is staying at effect. And that is not to say you can't be human and be mad about it and be frustrated about it, or ask for help while you're healing, that's very different than hand up, woe is me, I'm going to stay here and camp here as long as I can because of the positive benefit that I'm getting. And let me be very clear here, almost all of the time, that secondary gain is completely out of the person's awareness. That's what I was just going to say. I don't want this to be making anybody feel bad about themselves. What this conversation may have just done is brought you into awareness, which once you're in awareness, you can choose to go towards solution or stay in problem. Um, But the, the unconscious mind will always do what works. 
And the majority of the women that I work with are running patterns, deep rooted patterns of I'm not good enough, I'm unlovable, I'm unworthy. And so when we manifest a symptom or condition that makes us feel cared for and loved and we get attention, shit, we're going to hold on to that all day, which is why NLP and hypnosis can help remove that deep rooted root right from the, the base and it releases all those problems so long as you're willing to give up secondary gain and you never tell your victim story as a victim story ever again. That's how you get to cause and that's how you get to whatever you want. I love that. And you know what? For me, I had heard it on a podcast. That's how I figured it out. It is so you don't realize you're doing it. For the most, for most people, right? And then I heard about this concept on a podcast, and I realized it kind of just slapped me in the face. And I was like, "Holy shit, I'm doing this!" And then I've been in therapy since 2011, and so sometimes I, most of the time, I get there before my therapist even gets there. Now, and we've been working together forever. That she's just like, "I, I, I don't need. I'm just here. <laughs> like you yeah. just got there yourself." And I'm also fascinated with this stuff. But I brought this conversation into therapy. And it was clear as day why that had happened to me based on childhood, based on some teenage years. It was, it was, and then the empowerment that once I figured that out, it's, there was no shame or blame. It was more just like, holy shit. Like I'm kind of sick of this shit. Like I don't want to be a victim. I'm, I'm actually a very strong, independent woman. You know, at least that's what I think. And I am, Um, but even at the time, even with the anxiety and the panic and depression, I still felt that way. But then I was acting unconsciously in ways that did not align with who I wanted to be. And so hopefully someone listening to this maybe has that realization as well that I had. (laughs) And I want to make it very clear what you just said, Tay, is you got the awareness and in that moment you decided no more. Yeah. It's a choice. As soon as the awareness comes up, it is always a choice and you decide what you want and you decide what you don't want to do. And that's also a cause, like that's at cause. I'm choosing now to say enough is enough. I'm Mm -hmm. choosing now that I have this new awareness to stay strong, to show up in a different way, to take my fear and understand why and where it's coming from, but still move forward towards my goals. The power that we have in this moment right now as everyone is listening to this to decide their next step, because if we were to imagine life where our past literally erased, every minute that went by, our past was gone, how would that change your decisions about how you move forward in the next moment and the next moment and the next moment? And it's a really interesting perspective to sit with of How much of this am I really going to carry with me into my future when in reality, it doesn't mean anything. It happened. It just was exactly as you said, there's no emotion attached to it. It just is. And now I know, and now I can make a different decision moving forward. That's all that it is. Speaking of decision and choice, let's riff on this. How do I want to say this? Okay. So I get a lot of emails. I'm sure you probably do as well. A lot of messages from women looking for a guarantee that this will work for them. And my response is kind of always like, "I, it will work if you put in the work. It will work if you do the things. But if you don't do the things, it's not going to work. But what about those who feel like, who go into a program or into any changes automatically saying like, this isn't going to work for me, Mm -hmm. then it's not going to work for you. Right. Because you made that decision already. So commitment requires all in 100%. Commitment is an all in 100%, even if I get bored, even if it's new, even if I feel resistance, even if I'm afraid, it is 100%. Anything less than 100% is self-sabotage, and there is nothing anybody can do about it. Except hypnosis? <laughs> no. No way. Because remember, I'm not taking away free will. Right. So okay. if somebody comes to me and says, I'm paying you, I think my exchange of money and my exchange of time is enough 
for me to get the change that I want to. We're missing energy. Mm -hmm. Time, money, and energy are our three currencies. Mm -hmm. And I just said, commitment is 100% all in, no ifs, ands, or buts. So I don't care if you throw 10K at me, spend a month with me, and fight me the whole freaking time because you want to hold up your resistance to change because your resistance to change is greater than what I'm offering you. It doesn't matter what tool I use. It isn't going to filter. It's until they surrender to the mm-hmm. change, until they surrender to vicious independence and asking for help, until they surrender to I need to show up and stop hiding, then the change can happen. And there, I've turned away over 20K worth of client work that I could do because that person wasn't all in and there was no point in even going there. Because when you do it from an all integrative approach, NLP, hypnosis, diet, lifestyle, tasking, habits, all of that, there's no way you can't change. That is the universal law. You show up 100%, you will get everything you want threefold. You show up and bail, it's going to take you three times as much energy to get back to where you just were. So Mm -hmm. you choose. Again, it's always a choice. And I've done that as well. (laughs) I have had to cut time with clients short because the level of resistance was so high that I was just like, I can't, I can't help you because there's something blocking and it's not me. It's not my knowledge. It's not me as a practitioner. And it's probably, and it's unconscious probably to that person, but at where, like the stage that you are in right now, I'm not the person to best support you in that situation because the level of resistance is so high. And yeah, they're like fighting you on everything and they have an answer for everything. And you're just like, okay. (laughs) It's tough. And we're dealing with humans and we're dealing with humans that have a lot of unconscious patterning that is not in their awareness. And one of the things I do with every client is we create a consequence to bailing. And I say, what amount of money is greater than your resistance to change? That could be a $10,000 check. That could be a vehicle. That could be their house. That could be their wedding rings. And we put it up and we sign it. And we say, when you feel like bailing, I I legally now have to bring this consequence into it to show you and you have to pay up. So now, now how do you feel about your resistance? And it is an, a really interesting conversation to have. And there's nothing wrong with that. I was having this conversation with a girlfriend last night. We, uh, every Friday we do a little workout and then we go out for like tacos and, um, and we were talking about this because I've always admired her. And I tell her this all the time that when she sets her mind to something, she just does it. And I was like, you're a unicorn. I don't know a lot of people like you. And I'm not like her. Like I need accountability. I need skin in the game. Like I will decide I'm going to do this. And then I will kind of put my money where my mouth is and I'll get the support. Uh, or if, you know, maybe financially support's not in my option, I will find another way in my network to kind of be held accountable. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with needing this um, what did you call it? Like a consequence? The consequence. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a stick and a carrot. Most yeah. people are motivated by the stick. Most people are. And and that's a human dynamic. Very few people are motivated by the carrot in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's more the stick, which sounds awful, but that's what it is. If you bail, this is what it's going to cost you. Or I'm not going to work with you. And then mm-hmm. they're like, ooh. And that's really making them decide, Right. And and it that's why I said I've turned away people that were like, here's a big fat check to work with me. And I was like, I can't. You aren't there. Mm-hmm. Your your resistance is still so high that there's no way I can get past that and give you the results that I want to give you. And you said surrender. I was interviewed years ago. It was one of the first interviews I did. And the I was asked what the biggest lesson I learned from struggling for so long with three mental illnesses, anxiety, panic, and depression, and overcoming all three, what the biggest lesson I learned is, and my answer then, and my answer is still the same, is surrender. Mm -hmm. And it's a lesson that I carry with me like 
to this day. I have this motto, people who follow me on Instagram have probably heard nothing's an emergency unless somebody's life is actually in danger, Mm -hmm. but nothing's an emergency. And I say that to people in my life when like my coworkers, if they're stressing about a deadline, I'm like, is someone dying? Like we're fine. Nothing is an emergency. I say it so much now that it's funny. People start repeating it back to me and I'm like, yes. That's exactly what I say. I'm like, yeah. is, any, is someone going to die if you make this decision? Is someone going to die at the end of the day if you go over by like 10 minutes? Like, it's fine. You're going to be fine. That is the worst case scenario. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So obviously we don't have time to go over everything in this episode. And this is why everybody needs to follow you. And we'll talk about <laughs> that at the end and potentially work with you. But how, like, how do you help women or men, or how do you help your clients overcome their health anxiety with all the tools in your toolbox? Like what would be some kind of top three to five recommendations? Like, cause another thing with anxiety, right. Is where do I start? And then you get so overwhelmed that you have this action paralysis mm-hmm. where you're just like, Oh my gosh, I know I need to do all these things, but like, where do I start? And I usually tell people like, you can't pick one. Like you can't go wrong, really. Like if you're deciding between, you know, sleep and water and protein and going for a walk, just pick pick one because okay. you're going to have to do it all eventually. But what are your thoughts on that? So you're asking what are some tangible things that I've given my clients to do to help manage the anxiety in real time? Yes. Oh, okay. Let's have a conversation about this. Okay. <laughs> do you, and again, this is just me being really picky with language. Mm-hmm. I very much dislike the word manage anxiety Mm -hmm. because to me, it implies that we can't overcome it. Now, I also want to point out that there's the normal human emotion of anxiety and there's a chronic anxiety disorder. Those are two very different things. And so, and it just irks me because if you Google, like, can anxiety be overcome? It'll literally say like, no, there's no cure. You just have to learn how to manage it. And that was what I was told for years and years and years. And the amount of like messages I get where it's like, I just want to learn how to manage it. And I get that, but why can't you be free? And I'm not saying you can't be free that you'll be free of the normal human emotion of anxiety. You're going to feel that people are going to feel that. Like my partner has never had an anxiety disorder and he himself has experienced anxiety before triggered by a very stressful situation. So what are your thoughts around that? Because I get pushback on that as well around like manage versus eliminate. And I'm like, to be clear, I'm talking about different types of anxiety, but I don't know. We're talking the about constructive emotions versus <laughs> destructive emotions. Constructive yes. anxiety when you're going down a black alley and you're yes. not sure about your safety is constructive. Destructive anxiety is the anxiety that manifests that is blocking you from just thriving in your day. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to answer your question to the best of my ability, the answer is I never task anybody with anything that they can do in their real life around anxiety control or or whatever words we want to use until they've worked with me (laughs) banishment elimination yeah until they have done at least a um discovery session with me and I've done two hours of that taking the screw off the lid releasing the lightning from the bottle I just won't go anywhere with any client until they've done that with me because The destructive anxiety in my world is coming from pent up, unresolved, inappropriate, and destructive layers of negative emotions. And it's always fear-based. Fear is number one. Then we have anger and shame and rage and doubt and hurt and sadness and our limiting beliefs of I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I can't achieve success. I'm stuck. That shit's going to keep playing on your neurology until it gets released from that bottle. So there isn't anything in my mind that is the fastest than doing that work with me first. That being said, there are tools and techniques that I've had my clients do in real time that are also about shifting words and shifting your imagination. So anxiety is future paced fear of what hasn't happened yet. 
So if we are in agreement on that, that my anxiety is I'm going to be late for the plane, that this conversation is going to go to hell, that my day is so packed that I'm going to like, you know, shit the bed by the time it's all done. And I'm totally making this podcast explicit. So sorry. (laughs) That's okay. No, all good. I should have said in the beginning, in the preamble, you can swear. It's okay. Great. (laughs) I Um, have a pot. As my mom would say, the mouth of a sailor. Right. (laughs) But this is just the passion coming through. Yeah. So first and foremost, if we were to use NLP techniques in the moment, which means not at the height of your anxiety or panic attack, when you can get back into your body and feel the feelings, not just experience the adrenaline from the anxiety, really take a breath with the intention of, I want to come out of this spiral as quickly as I can, then we need to stop the language of, I don't want this to happen. I don't want to be late. I don't want to get into that conversation with that person. I don't want to pick up my phone. I don't want to check my emails. I don't want to check my bank account because of X, Y, or Z story and change it to what you do want. I'm looking forward to putting that phone call off until Friday. I'm looking forward to getting to my flight on time. I'm looking forward to finishing my day and having a glass of wine. Instantly, when we change our language, we can't have success, happiness, joy, in uh, firing at the same time as anxiety and fear. It, it just doesn't work that way. Biology doesn't work that way. You can't have two polar opposite emotions coexisting. Yeah. So we immediately switch the emotion. And number two, I get my clients to do something called the anxiety protocol, which is where you float up to 15 minutes after the successful completion of whatever you're specifically anxious about. This is using our imagination, folks, back in your body, (laughs) use your imagination, float to 15 minutes after the successful completion of what you're anxious about, turn and look towards now, meaning the present time, and tell me where your anxiety is. It instantly drops at 50% because we've told our imagination that we are going to successfully complete that event. Because how much time have we wasted in this anxiety of the future to only complete what we were anxious about and being like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Like, we've all been there, right? Mm -hmm. It's just imaginary future fear. And if we understand that construct, we can use our imagination to also reduce that fear. But that is, again, in the moment on that day. This is not longstanding chronic anxiety panic. That requires deeper work for sure. Now, what about people who are like, I can't even do that. I can't even imagine that 15 minutes afterwards because the anxiety is just so bad that the worst thing's going to happen and nothing else. (laughs) So we've talked about resistance. We've talked about cause and effect today. (laughs) So we're not going to talk about that again. And the statement I just say is, I wonder if you could. Hmm. I wonder. I wonder if you could just imagine that just in the moment. I wonder if it's possible for you. I like that you, yeah. (laughs) That's a hypnosis statement. I wonder. Yeah, I I wonder. wonder. I I like that you also um, made a point to say that a lot of this work is done not when we're actually in that super anxious adrenaline high state. It's the same thing with breath work. You know, people are like, I tried breath work and it didn't work. And it's like, okay, when did you try it? Well, when I'm anxious, when I'm having a panic attack. Well, of course, like, because your body thinks that's very unsafe because your body actually thinks it's way safer to be having a panic attack, right? Mm -hmm. But if you practice breath work when you're not in an anxious state and you're not having a panic attack and you do that every day, multiple times a day for short little bursts, your body's going to start to be like, you know what? this isn't that bad. (laughs) This is actually pretty safe. And it's it's the same thing with what you're explaining is not a lot is going to work, at least in my experience, except like a benzo (laughs) when you're in that, like in, when you're in it, when you're having that panic, when the anxiety is so high because you cannot rationalize. No, because you're using your conscious mind at that point. Your conscious mind is taking over, your your survival mode is taking over, your unconscious mind, which is the emotions, can't kick in simultaneously because people do try to rationalize in the minute of a panic attack. They're like, I shouldn't be feeling this way. 
Why can't I get over this? How long is this going to last for? That is all conscious reasoning, which isn't the part of the brain that triggered the whole thing to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you said you have to go into your body. Breathwork is tapping into your unconscious mind. It's bypassing logical and reasonable thought. And that's the part where the emotions exist. But we are so dissociated from our bodies all day long that tapping into our emotions is so difficult for so many until they get trained on what it feels like, which typically has to be done with a coach for them Mm -hmm. to fully embrace what that deep breathing looks like. Ask anybody about meditation. They're like, meditation, I hate it. I'm never doing it. it." Yeah. Can't do it. Because they're doing it in their conscious awareness. And meditation is about breathing and getting into your body. And it is a practice. Mm -hmm. But one thing I will say, because we talked about awareness earlier, is anytime the anxiety be, like is starting to take over, it's really important to try to, and I'm using try intentionally, but do this, what thought just popped in or what emotion or what was going on in your environment right before the anxiety popped up. That is how you'll start to connect where this is actually coming from. And again, once you're in awareness, you can make your decisions better. So that's another tool that we get all of our people to start doing is attaching the emotion right before you felt that way, right before the anxiety kicked off, right before the panic kicked off. What were you thinking about? What was in your environment? Or what emotion were you feeling? Nine times out of 10, it's fear-based or Mm -hmm. anger or sadness or hurt or whatever. Mm -hmm. I get my clients to do this a lot too, but less with the kind of mental aspect, but more with the, okay, let's retrace your, you know, how did you eat the last three, four days? Let's retrace like the lifestyle things. Let's retrace like what are your, your bowel movements like? Let's retrace all of those things. And it really helps to pinpoint it as well. So I love that you have a very similar practice for, for the emotional thing, because I'm not saying that anxiety is not triggered by this fear or this emotion or a very specific situation. I'm very much saying that because I'm saying it is an emotion, but I'm also saying if it's chronic and you're experiencing it daily, weekly, before your period, but every single month before your period, then yes, it's still an emotion, but it's also a symptom of something going on. Well, let's also be frank again, like you are in a human body and your human body has needs. And if you're carb loading all day, every day, it feeds sugar and sugar Mm -hmm. is lighter fluid to anybody who's already in a heightened state. When your emotions are fluctuating, like you said, around your period, that is a biological thing. So it has to be integrative and it's going to be different for everybody. But if we can manage the lighter fluid on top of the layers of emotions that exist, let's do that, shall we? Because we've seen in the naturopathic space, huge comebacks by just healing the gut, reducing inflammation, really paying attention to food triggers. Mm -hmm. And then it opens up your body to even faster healing. So absolutely. Yeah, I'm loving this conversation because I say this all the time. It's not what I do or therapy or what I do or hypnosis or NLP. It's both. It's both. And I I think that is frustrating. I know that because people have expressed it to me that it's frustrating that they have to do all of these things now just to kind of get back to baseline. What are some encouraging words that you would have to say for people who are just like, oh my gosh, I have to do all these things because sometimes that is the reality. Yes, you do have to do a lot of things to kind of get back on track. So the places that I always come from is when we are coming in, in survival mode. Survival mode is very much like I'm tapped out. I can't even focus food doesn't have taste for me. Everything is is like firing me up. Mm-hmm. I'm nauseous. When, I have no appetite. Like Right. Yeah. Survival mode. When we're in survival mode, we can really only manage one or two of the simplest new tasks at any given time. So it's yes. kind of like this. You're here. The tasks are here. Then as this starts to come down, the tasks start to come up. And then as this comes down, meaning you 
you can get more complicated. Mm -hmm. What do we do as humans? We're here and our task list is up here. And then we're just like in this marble jar of like crap, right? Yeah. I'm so, going to do 10 things at the same time. And then I'm not going to be able to do them. And I'm going to feel really bad about myself. Girl, <laughs> I please. mean, I've been yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. So if you're up here, we do the bare minimum to manage survival, to manage our state until this comes down, which is for a lot of people drinking enough water to be hydrated throughout the day. Aim for three to four liters or like four sports bottles of water every day. And that's the only thing you need to control for like the next week. And that's yes. it. And then once that gets good, maybe we add in a 15 minute walk while you're listening to some, a show. Like I don't care, but it has to be freaking dead simple so that you achieve that dopamine rush of success. Mm -hmm. um, I am doing it surrender to the fact that it's not as fast as you wanted it to be because we love complexity as humans simple is too simple and we get very uncomfortable with that so surrender to I'm setting myself up for success so that I can bring my levels down so I can start raising up more and more that I can handle but remember we're fighting against lightning in a bottle yeah got to be really careful and gentle. We don't want the bo the bottle to explode. We just want to slowly start to release that lid twist by twist and then when you're ready, it's good. Yeah. Here is like an excellent analogy that <laughs> when I say this to people, they're like, "Oh yeah." There's still resistance, but they get it. It takes 9 months to make a baby. Nobody is sitting there saying, oh my gosh, this is not fast enough. This is taking <laughs> way too long. This is so frustrating. And that is a miracle. Like the female body creates life. And guess what? It takes nine months to create life. And so what makes you think that reversing imbalances within the body should take you a month or two months or three months, you know? And it's when you put it in perspective like that, and other animals, like I think an elephant is two years to birth a baby elephant, right? Like the gestation period for different animals is different things. And we are animals, we are mammals. And nobody looks at that and thinks like, oh my God, that's too long. They're like, wow, what a miracle, you know? And, and the body is, everything about the body is miraculous. Everything about the mind is miraculous. And your body can... I don't love to use the word heal, but I'm going to use it for lack of a better word. Your body can heal from a lot of stuff if you give it the right tools, but it yeah. is going to take time because it is a, it is miraculous and beautiful and magical. Yeah. I love that. The only thing that's coming up for me as I think that is, again, the resistance to believing that and the fear of what success could look like. And that holds people, that holds a lot of people back because they've never envisioned what my life could look like. So they don't have that future picture of that new baby. They're like, okay, if I can just hunker down for nine months and have that beautiful baby in my arms, it's all going to be worth it. Mm -hmm. And not a lot of coaches future pace their clients. They stay in the symptomology that they are and say, but what if your anxiety was gone? What would your life look like then? What if you had more confidence? What would you be seeing, doing, or feeling differently when, and that's what you anchor. And if you can anchor in that vision, just like you were saying with your friend who commits and she goes for it every single time, she is future pacing that baby every freaking day. It's remarkable. <laughs> I'm like, holy yeah. moly, like, can I be like you? <laughs> and you can. Yeah. You can. You just may need to install different strategies than are what playing out right now. But again, it's always a choice. And, 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 and this is so important. It is not appropriate to follow the new age movement of don't feel negative emotions. Oh gosh. Don't even get me so that's started podcast. on toxic positivity. Like, right. So <laughs> like we said already, there is constructive fear. There is constructive anxiety. There is constructive anger. Yes. And in fact, all of those negative emotions hold a lot of power. So if you choose to future pace of what you could do with all of that power for the better, use that fuel from anger and rage and fear to be like, 
fuck this shit. I'm getting out of the house and I'm going for that 15 minute walk. God damn it. Or I'm so mad that coach Tay is telling me to do this that I'm going to drink my water. Those four liters are getting into me. I'm going to show her. (laughs) And I'm I'm going to show her that I'm going to do this, right? We can use anger and fear as massive fuels for what we want if you're willing to play that way. But all humans must experience anger if you want to experience joy. You must experience sadness if you want to experience happiness. Mm-hmm. Again, you can't have this like teeter-totter effect where you only experience one because now you're living in this imaginable construct that your biology cannot compute. So feel feel the anger, feel the fear and be like, how am I going to use this for good? How am I going to use this to like anger clean my house? <laughs> how am I going to yeah. use this to like run away from my home on a, on a big run and use all my energy that I can? I have used anger as a motivator many times in my life and I'll continue to do so. And I used to feel bad about it. And now I don't because I understand that it's what, like, it's fine. But I have a lot of naysayers in my family. Um, A lot of um, allopathic people, a lot of people who like to um, poo poo on the fact that I didn't finish university because of my mental illness and the fact that I went in a different direction or the fact that I'm a nutritionist and not a dietitian because it would be better to be a dietitian. And I disagree, but you know, things like that. And I have used that anger and frustration to fuel me to be like, okay, fuck you. I'm going to show you what I'm going to do with this holistic, holistic nutrition diploma. Like I'm going to show you exactly what I'm capable of. (laughs) Yep. And in every hypnosis session, I always anchor in the people that are the naysayers in your life are going to only fuel you to be more confident, more driven, have more personal power, like all of those things, because so real. And if I were to just close up this little segment as easily as I could, is we have a tool called perception is projection that I do with all of my clients, and it is so powerful. And In reality, every single person in your life is there to teach you a lesson and your family is there to keep you safe and to make sure that you are doing the right thing. Now, universally, though, if you want something and it works against your family, your family becomes your no number. How many times am I going to hear no from my family before I quit? And it's a test. It's a universal test of how bad do you want this? And you've proven to your family and yourself, screw you guys, I'm doing it anyway, and I'm going to do it harder and faster and just watch the bank that rolls in, right? Like just watch the abundance that I create in service and in helping Mm -hmm. and impact. Um, But that's why our family members are there. They're all there to teach us a lesson and they're all there to test us on if we're breaking out of the pack, they want to keep us safe. And if you say, no, I'm breaking out of the pack, I'm not doing the the right or wrong that you think I'm paving my own way, they'll test you three times and for you probably more. (laughs) But but that's why they're there. And if we can appreciate that, we also won't be so attached to their response because their response is their response. And if we're like, you know what, mom's testing me again, whatever, let's move, let's change conversations. I really like thinking of it that way. And it hasn't been explained to me like that. And I really love that. So thank you for sharing. This was such a good conversation. I mean, we can talk forever. I say this at the end of every like guest. I'm like, (laughs) we can talk forever, but it's true. (laughs) Like I literally can talk to you and everybody else forever and ever. Where can people find you? How can they connect with you? And I will link it all in the show notes. Cool. So if you want to DM me, it's at the Maxim Movement. If you want to watch my masterclass, which is a free 75-minute video on kind of why I do what I do and how I like to impact women in particular, it's at andreamaxim.com. Thank you. Bye. And that is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask you before you go. If you love today's episode, I would so appreciate if you left a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to right now. My goal with this podcast is to reach 
as many people as possible to spread awareness that anxiety is not this incurable disease. It's not something we just have to live with. It's definitely not just part of your personality. And there are body-based imbalances that need to be addressed in order to truly be free from chronic anxiety. With awareness comes action. And the more people this podcast can reach, the less people will struggle with anxiety. And positive reviews are the number one way to help new people discover the show. You are the best. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so, so, so much. One last thing, my legal medical disclaimer. The Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast with me, Taylor Jandro, is for general information and educational purposes only. And the advice and recommendations I give or my guests give throughout the episodes do not replace medical advice. The consumption of this podcast does not qualify as a practitioner-client relationship with me and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. Yes, I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist. So please discuss any changes with your primary healthcare provider. Okay, that's it. Until the next episode, bye for now.